There's an inherent contradiction in today's China. The Communist Party wields absolute control over society and the economy, while at the same time celebrating great individual wealth. Today's guest has seen the inside of that world and writes about it in a new book. He's Desmond Shum, this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to A Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. Each week we talk about big issues with great guests, storytellers, novelists, journalists, and more to make sense of the big stories that shape our world. This week we're joined by Desmond Shum. Born in Shanghai, raised in Hong Kong, and educated in the United States, he's the author of a new memoir, Red Roulette an insider story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's China. Desmond, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you know, the book is a, is a really uh, powerful look at life inside China uh, at the highest levels of, of, of Chinese uh, business and Chinese government. We want to talk about that at length. But let's start a little bit of background about you and your family. You write sort of uh, 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 descriptively about the different experiences of your, of your grandparents uh, in the aftermath of the Chinese Communist Revolution. And it was a different experience both for your mother's family and your father's family. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Um, it's my, my, my grandfather on the, my, my father's side, he was a lawyer. Uh, and when the Communist Party took over, you know, I think educated class uh, in general is classified as a degenerative. And then they were driven uh, from their home uh, in Shanghai and then went to Suzhou, which is about an hour drive today's, uh, uh, today's world, uh, probably three hour train at that time uh, in the 70s. Um, I know probably earlier than that. My father was uh, less than about 10, uh, 12 when he was left alone uh, in Shanghai. And that, I think that leave, that really leave a lasting mark on him um, in his personality, being left alone, uh, fending for himself as a teenager. As a teenager. And my mom, uh, he was, she was actually, um, born in Hong Kong and then uh, went, to Hong, went back to Shanghai very young with uh, uh, my maternal grandmother. And then my maternal grandfather was uh, uh, working and, uh, as a business person in, in Hong Kong. And then he was able to send money back uh, uh, on a regular basis to support the family. And so my father's side and my mother's side has very, very different experience um, in, in, the early, um, uh, in early in that life. Can you talk about the difficult parts of your childhood? And then we can get to the more uplifting parts, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, you know, one thing I think I am sort of different. I mean, very on, I think the U.S. education, American education actually definitely left a mark on me. I'm a lot more open person than a usual Chinese you will, met, uh, you will meet in China. 
And so when I decide to write a book, I say, well, I have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and, and I have done all my best to be the best person I can be. And I will just tell the truth as it is. And uh, even the difficult part. And then uh, this book has been, you know, a lot of uh, soul searching, a lot of uh, gut-wrenching review of my own life. And um, so, so my, my early life, uh, it's difficult. I think it's also, you know, uh, we were, uh, my, my, my childhood in Shanghai, we were in the tail end of Cultural Revolution. And my parents are both, you know, they sent, they were sent, you know, from the alternative, they, they alternate sent to the countryside from time to time. My father is always a very afraid, afraid of uh, what will happen to him because, you know, the, the classification of social status he has, um, he, I think it, it, gets, it, it gives him a lot of pressure. So, and then I think my father, um, I, I, I think, you know, subconsciously, unconsciously, uh, release a lot of those pressure on me. And, you know, I took a heart beatings, um, you know, usually, um, and I, you know, looking back, you know, in my life, and I would say, you know, how, 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 wrong, how much wrong an eight years old, a nine years old kid, you know, can do to deserve that kind of beating. And then, it actually affects me. I mean, I, I like when I have my son now today is 12. I barely ever lay a hand on him. I, I'm just like trying. I, I, and I'm very verbal with him to show my affection. And also physically, I hug him all the time, giving kisses. We play kiss game, we call. Uh, it's just very different. Uh, I really, you know, my, my childhood leave a, 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 well, leave a mark, definitely. You, you found swimming to be something that gave you pleasure and something you succeeded at. So that was sort of, you know, sort of a bright spot in your childhood. Maybe you can talk about that and, and then you can please get into why you decided to come to America to go to college. But start with the swimming. Yeah. Swimming was, uh, you know, uh, you know, in everywhere else. I mean, in the U.S., I would guess, you know, you get into swimming because you like the sports. Or you are, you know, in my case, we were, I was picked, you know, in the communist system, uh, you know, what happened was uh, when I think when I was six, somebody, you know, came to the school, they measure you up, you know, your proportions, your arms to your body, your, you know, the proportion of legs to your body. Uh, you jump into the water and show what can you do. And then they say, well, okay, this guy is good for track and field. That guy is good for swimming. And I was uh, selected to say I'm, I'm supposed to be good at swimming. And then I get picked and then you get into the so-called quote-unquote training system. And so I start very early on at six. I mean, I would swim one to two hours every day, probably six, seven hours, six, seven days a week. And I was very good at it. And, um, you know, if swimming give me anything, it, it give me a belief that I can give we, we, I can get through the tough part of the pool. It's because when you're training that much as a kid, you know, some days you are good, some days you don't feel so strong. And, but when you're doing the pool, if you slow down, you're blocking the lane, people are touching your feet and then say, well, you're blocking the lane. And then you push yourself and, you, and then eventually get out of the pool. And that actually really leaves a mark uh, uh, on my 
always look back in their experience and sw what swimming give me is push it through, get through the barrier, you can get it through and you will get out of the pool eventually. So that really, that really, I mean, that's what swimming really gave me. So why did you decide to come to college in America? And it was the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, that's, uh, that's also accidental, I guess. Well, then the first part is not accidental. Is I have a, one of my best uh, friends. He went to uh, California very early on. Uh, and then, you know, America is always uh, a draw on youngster with the American movie, the pop culture, the music and all that. And then, you know, when I hear what he's, you know, experiencing in a, in a school, in college, in the U.S., I decided that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. And so I applied, and I applied at that year. I was accepted at um, Washington U in St. Louis and um, Madison, Wisconsin. And, and uh, you know, at the time, I think that year, uh, I still remember U.S. News ran the school, one is 17 and one is 18. And uh, I think uh, WashU was uh, 17, uh, Madison was 18. And, but the tuition is half. So Madison's half the tuition of, of WashU, and my father, you know, and, and, and also in, in my case, myself, I, you know, I've never been to the States. I don't really know what's the difference between a public school and a private school. Um, you know, all we see is like, you know, we still, are, I would say aspiring middle class, we're not definitely not there yet, so, uh, but aspiring to be a middle class in Hong Kong. Uh, finance is not easy on the family. So when my father looked at the tuition, they said, well, that's where you're going. And I was like, sure, that's where I'm going. <laughs> so I end up, uh, end up in Madison, Wisconsin. So, so you know, your, your, your life, you had, you had a lot of uh, sort of developmental experience uh, uh, all over Asia uh, and, and throughout China. And, and we're going to gloss over that a little bit, but you, you talk, the book itself really peels back the layer of the Communist Party and corruption uh, and uh, the relationship between the two. Um, you, you make a point to remind the reader of Deng Xiaoping's famous formulation that to get rich is glorious. And so for an American audience that's maybe versed on uh, the, the thought of communism under the old Soviet system and the deprivation and economic scarcity of that, what does communism mean in the Chinese context today you mean today or 20 years ago when i first started let's, start let's start career. 20 years ago and then we can bring it forward to today okay i think 20 years ago Twenty years ago i think everything is changing everything is changing very fast in a positive dimension uh and and everybody, I think, you know, everything's booming. Everything is booming. Everybody is getting into new things. Everybody is um, um, trying new things. Everybody believe tomorrow will be better. Everybody believe one day we will be just like America. We will have democracy. We will have all the rights, human rights, all the rights you have. The question everybody's on, you know, on most people's minds is only about when do we get there? And the argument is when and how we're going to get there. But there's no debate on the direction of where the country is going. And so it's a very, very positive energy uh, uh, in the country. Um, in the, you know, when I first started my career going there, 
it was uh, you know it's very poor but it's going very fast and then it's, it's such a positive energy and, today, and what about what about today i think things really change i i i, I given in the book i mean where when do i sense the change i think the change really came uh in, in with the oa financial crisis i think in the oa financial crisis two things happen right one is um that's a you know the world has a has a basically uh economic collapse to a certain extent to a large extent actually and then asia was uh in panic and then a lot of people, I mean, a lot of Asian countries looking to China say, is China going to depreciate the currency? If they're going to break through, if China can depreciate the currency, uh, that will break the dam. And China hold the currency and uh, did, a, did a, uh, also a massive easing. Um, and the economy uh, came right back. And then they carried Asia out of it. And that really changed the perspective, I think, uh, on a lot of people in China, the society at large, and also especially the Chinese uh, political leaders. They think, uh, they look, all of a sudden, they look back and say, well, they say, well, okay, maybe our system is not that bad. Maybe their system is not that great. That's, I think that's when the questioning uh, starts. And then with that, with, and also obviously the, fine, uh, the, the OA Olympic, you know, the Beijing showcase, really was, uh, you know, I think give everybody looking at the opening ceremony uh, from the world, it's like, wow, this is China. This is just amazing, right? Like 10,000 people doing a dance in sync. Just like, it's like, you know, no other country can, can deliver something like that at this moment in time other than China. You know, it's really a different, the gift of, the society at large in China and also political leaders have a very different look on, on, on themselves and the world. And then from that moment on, I think a lot of things change. Um, you know, I start, you know, in, a, in the coming, in the following years, I start have um, um, party members uh, installed into my company. I know, I mean, we are a, a joint venture company between private company and state company. Uh, we own majority share and but we have, and, and a party apparatus was, uh, was uh, um, mandated to set up in my company. And then I, and then I have a party secretary in my company. And then when I do manage decision, I have sort of like, you know, have to have to, I wouldn't say get the consent, but I have to definitely consult their opinion on my, any decision I make on a company. And that's just the first step. And then uh, more and more of that coming. And then, you know, you see that the state sector is encroaching on the areas that the private company used to be able to operate freely. And then obviously, you know, you fast forward to today, it's, you know, the news is just like an avalanche coming down, right? I mean, how to stay, you know, like yesterday, last two days, they're talking about the, the, the state company buying in 1%. Uh, into all this major tech company, uh, essentially a golden share, and they, uh, and they have a boss seat in the company, which, you know, although they only one seat out of, uh, you know, X member of boards, you know that that one vote called the ultimate shot. So things really change, really change. But one thing I think, I, I, and when I look back, and, um, and then I think through the book as we, as we grow through my life and then grow through the last 10 years, 
Um, and one thing I really uh, look back and look at and then is the Lenin system of the Communist Party is always there. And that is the Lenin system that enabled the snapback of China. Because even 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, we were, you know, you know I have, you know, as, as you can see from the book, we have, you know, political connection up and down the, the system. We deal with the business leaders of the country. Uh, we count them as personal friends. We, you know, we, we have lavish dinner behind closed doors. And then we talk about politics in Beijing. And in general, people do not believe we will go backward. I mean, okay, we may do a half step back, but nobody believes this is what, you know, today's China is happening. Everybody think, you know, okay, we, we, we may roll forward in a different speed, but we will go forward. Nobody believes it's going to go backward. And it is going backward. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutis. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 17 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Desmond Shum. Born in Shanghai, raised in Hong Kong, and educated in the United States, Desmond and his ex-wife were tremendously successful developers in China. He's written a new book about that life, Red Roulette, an insider story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's China. So a a lot of the book is devoted to your ex-wife, Whitney, and she has disappeared. Can you tell us briefly about her and about the disappearance. And it's my understanding that she is still disappeared. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm today talking to you uh, without her. I mean, despite, you know, differences and then, and of course the breakdown marriage. I, and then, and then the, the reason I'm writing this book because I think telling this story as openly as I've done is her best chance and maybe her last chance to free to to you know to be alive in a way. So she is she come from rural part of China in Shandong province. She her parents were. I would say uh, um, low-ranking civil servants in the in the county. Uh, she really dig herself out of that. So when she first, um, um, her parents never believed she had a chance to university. They said you should go to a technical school. So they sent her to a technical school. And she, to be a car repairing mechanic. 
And she was telling me the story that says she will bring a book. Uh, when people go to go to sleep, there's no lights, there's a street lights. So she will bring her books, study for the university entrance exam, uh, study under the street light deep in the night. And that actually has a lasting impact on, uh, on, on her health. And she failed the first time and she get in a university in the second time. So, and that changed her life. I mean, she's a star student in a, in a, in a university and uh, the best student of her class. And as a result, the university asked her to stay to be um, assistant secretary to the president of university. And from there, um, the, 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 she, she becomes a role ranking um, official in the system. Uh, well, when I say in the system, it's, I have a lot of description of, of how the system actually worked in the book. But in the system is what I mean is just, you know, this, the, the, the Communist Party runs everything, the, the state runs the system, is rich, which includes the, the government and the party apparatus. So she becomes a, a government official in a county. And from there, she start, um, she, she, she sees corruption at first hand. Uh, the head of county, um, when she was there, was arrested, a lot of backstabbing. She saw all of that. And then she experienced all that. And then also all this heavy drinking, which also gave her a lasting health issue. And then she decided she doesn't want to be part of that thing. She wanted to be free. She wanted to be joined the entrepreneur rank and she get out and then she, uh, she get into business. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, eventually. And then I'm very, uh, and then, because of her experience of working university with the president, she got to meet a lot of high rec, you know, ranking officials. And then, and then she was first, her first business experience, she was working for a business owned by the military, a real estate development company owned by the military. At the time, the Chinese army actually can run business. And, um, and that from all those experiences, she gets to know sort of coded language um, um, to talk to people in the system, uh, the behavior pattern, how you deal with people, even like simple thing as when you greet the people um, knocking a wine glass on a table, how you greet them, how the glasses uh, should be knocked. There is a code to it. <laughs> if you're not aware of it, the person across the table immediately know, immediately know that and they will change their language. They will change your language in terms of what they tell you, what they discuss with you, and how they treat you. Because they say, well, you don't know the game. You're not part of the play. Um, so, so she really, I mean, bring me into that when, I, when, I, when, when we you know, meet up. Desmond, we've got a couple of minutes left here and I wanna make sure we sort of yeah. cut to the heart of this. What do you believe yes. has happened to your ex-wife? Obviously, uh, what happened to her is all guesstimate at this moment because the government had took her for four years. Nobody actually ever, ever seen her, ever heard of her from her. Uh, she had never been charged. Um, I think what my guess is what happened is we, um, we know uh, some of the highest ranking officials um, in the state. Um, and then, you know, some of them in a very deep personal level. And then a couple of them were rivals of, China, uh, of Xi Jinping today and they were taken out. And I think in the process, um, she probably 
her something, um, know certain people. She's not supposed to know her something. She's not supposed to hear. And they con the you know Xi Jinping and his regime considered. I'm not. I'm not sure she's a danger. I'm, I don't think she's a danger. She's not a politician of any means. Um, consider her a nuisance, and then they say, "Well, take her out." That's terrifying. Are you uh, are you worried in publishing this book? Yeah, well, not worry is not even the word. I mean, like every friend of mine, uh, when they heard me coming out with this book, the first thing is, "Wish you safety." I mean, this. I mean, if I'm afraid, and I'm afraid, but I have to cast that aside, because if that let the if I let it rule me, I would never come forward and tell the story. Wow, well, and that's I courageous. Think I think it's important multiple ends. I mean, that's two things that they 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 that bring me to to tell the story. One is what is happening to her. I mean, I know what we did. We tried to play the system as in the China system as clean as any business person as possibly can. And you know, even a shopkeeper need to ally with somebody with political power, maybe a street official, just to operate your shop. But in our case, we able to get all the way up to the you know, the family of the premier. Is there something wrong with me? That's the way this system is set up. That's the way system is played. If you want to do anything, you have to align with somebody with political means in the system. Otherwise, nothing can be done. You are nobody. So what happened to her, I think is deeply unfair. And then you just, it makes me very angry. How can you put a person, I and mean, when you control the court, you control the prosecution, you control the judge, you control the police. You can charge her with anything and make a stick. Why do you never charge her and put her in a dark cell for four years now? And I don't I have no idea whether she's you know alive or dead. And then she's you no, know, despite our differences, she's the mother of my son. And I'm very angry with that. The second thing is I grew up with Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong. I love that city. All my, you know, a lot of my closest mates are from that city. And I see what the Communist Party is doing to Hong Kong. And I see how the youngest uh, being at the front of the protests to demand their rights, their dignity, and their freedom. And it breaks my heart. I mean, I, I, I fly, I, I made a trip to be back in Hong Kong just to be in that march. You know, that the first time I met people on the street in Hong Kong. I want to be there, I want to feel that, I want to see that. And I say, well, if the youngest are that brave, so many people giving up so much to protect Hong Kong, maybe I should, you know, take a step forward and do my part. And those are the two reasons I'm coming forward for, you know, to tell the story. Well, Desmond, it is uh, an incredibly powerful story. Your courage is inspiring. The book is Red Roulette. Uh, it is a fascinating and important read for anybody who cares uh, about uh, justice in the world. Uh, 
Uh, Desmond, thank you so so much for being with us. That is all the time we have this week for Story in the Public Square. If you want to know more about the show, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square. After we recorded this episode, Desmond Shum reported that just before the release of his book, Red Roulette, he heard from his ex-wife, Whitney Dwan. Mr. Shum said that Ms. Dwan told him that she was on a temporary release, and that the charges against her were, quote, confidential. According to Desmond, Whitney Dwan also told him not to publish the book and asked him, quote, what would happen to our son if something happened to you? Mm-hmm.